You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfractions.com. NCI Properties. Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode four of Zone 32, the All 32 podcast presented to you by NeutralZone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NCI Properties. Check us out online at NeutralZoneInfraction.com. Max, Grant, and Jake back at it again. First off, we have to thank the listeners. Of course, episode three was the most listened in our show's short history, and we couldn't have done it without you guys, of course. So again, props to you guys for listening each and every episode at least twice a week with more bonus episodes to come. You guys have anything you want to say to the listeners? Y'all, y'all real ones. I appreciate you. Listen, listen, keep listening. It's going to get better. We're going to get dumber. We're going to have better hot takes. We're going to keep going with the best information you got regarding the Ravens and all the other 31 NFL teams. All right. Now, guys, before we get into the topic du jour of tonight, because it is indeed Steelers week, which we will be discussing plenty of tonight and on Friday's episode. Um, first off, a couple of items we need to check off our list. A quick news item uh, following up on last episode, the Ravens have officially signed Des Bryant to the practice squad as of Tuesday. Uh, the, his roster activation is pending uh, his COVID test result and his ability to join the team. Um, it's unlikely that he will join Baltimore in the Pittsburgh game on Sunday, but hey, here's hoping. Um, and I know, Grant, you're hyped for that. We're going to save your energy for that. Actually, you know what? I will let you let loose. Go right ahead. Show, show us your enthusiasm for this move. All gas, no brakes. Listen, this signing, you know, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm biased, dude. I've loved uh, – we already talked about it last show. You know, I was big on him in the draft. We got robbed of getting him because that team up north that cheats a lot. Um but look, this this is a great move for the locker room. Uh, this is a great move for football. This is a great move for our running game and our passing game in Baltimore. So you're looking at a guy that has completely changed his old mantra, his whole – like he's always been a dog. Like he's a straight-up dog. Go look at some of his old highlights, like Cowboys fighting for yards, blocking on the edge. That's stuff you can't teach. The other things were the – you know, the, the sideline antics, like they try to catch OBJ with sometimes. Like, dude, that's just passion. That's football. You're a competitor. Um, the media tries to kind of blow that another angle, call it immaturity, whatever. No, nah, man, that's just – you just care. And I think there is kind of a line that you draw on that. But, you know, this guy has completely changed. And not only that aspect, but he's just matured to a fully developed, just grown-ass man of a football player. Um, he's not only putting the mental aspect to it, but he's at on top of the physical aspect – People were sitting here, you know, when the signing happens or all over social media, um, he's washed up. He hasn't played since 2017, this and that. Bro, he's 31. Like, he is 31 years old. What do you think is washed up? How old was Mason when he came and bought out for us and was a key component of our receiving core with garbage McGee at quarterback? <laughs> like, like who else? I mean, look, Gamequan Bolton, how old was he? Smitty came in and bought out. He had the Panthers' revenge game and completely put the legal notice and then took Pac-Man by his face and threw him all the way into the Chesapeake. <laughs> like, like it, I don't get why people think that he's so washed up. He had a major injury that it's pretty common in sports, you know, believe it or not, Achilles injuries. I mean, it's just a freak accident that can happen, but he did it. He took time. He rehabilitated. He grind, he grinded nonstop, he waited for his chance. He wasn't taking any offer. He had teams in mind. He mentioned it. I think it was last year on Twitter. He talked about how he said he wanted to play for the black and gold, the black and purple and the blue and silver. 
aka the Steelers, the Ravens, or um, the Cowboys. So you know he he's they, we had talks with him before. He declined our deal, the three year deal. You know you hear about that a lot. Um, you know we brought him in earlier this year, but I think that that hold off was to see what Boykin can do, and Boykin is not impressed. Um, he he's he's got all the intangibles in the world. But the guy just can't put it together. I don't know if he's just confused, doesn't know how the offense goes, doesn't know how to read a defensive secondary, doesn't know how to adjust his routes or audibles. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's got to be something. It doesn't happen that frequently without something. And I think that, you know, we all talked about it, and I mentioned it to my buddies before, is that close to the trade deadline, watch for a Des reunion kind of talk or bring him back in. Just because, I mean – their communications never stopped. So that tells you the interest was still there from both parties. And then on top of that, you're bringing him in a second time. Like I said, last week, you, you bring him in a second time. He's not going to leave. Um, just working out the numbers. Everybody talks about the whole practice squad thing. That's only just until we can figure out what the roster move is because he's not going to play this weekend. I mean, if he played this weekend, I'd be completely surprised. Uh, picking up an offense, making a roster move, having the six COVID tests in a row that you're able to pass on. You know, those, that's a lot of obstacles across. Let these him in. Let him get comfortable. We don't need him right now. Um, and another thing is, is you know, people are like, oh, he's not Dez. He's not Dez. Man, old Dez was a 1,400-yard receiver with 15 to 20 touchdowns a season. If you give me 700 yards and seven touchdowns, bro, you done. Come on in. Like, in the aspect that he takes off of the game from other receivers, I think him coming in and being able to do what he can do and just sustain of being a veteran leader – on that receiving core, he's going to open a lot more for Hollywood and Mark Andrews, also Lamar. So, you know, I think that it's going to, it might take a couple of weeks to really, you know, get him up and get him going, but um, I'm excited about it, man. And, and like I said, I'm biased, whatever, because I love, I've loved Des since he was at Oklahoma State and I love his game. And that's the most important thing is you have to fall in love with somebody's game and they have to be passionate about what they, what they are. And he's willing to take a, a practice squad deal when he was on top of the world to play for a contender, to prove himself and earn his way back bring him on all day, every day, and give me everybody with that type of mentality. Man, look at that passion. Now, Jake, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Um, we're going to talk fantasy in terms of Dez's potential impact here, but you know Dez is going to have week 13, December 3rd, Thursday Night Football circled on his calendar when the Cowboys come back to town. Um, Jake, do you think Dez is worth a, a stash in fantasy either this week or at any point coming up. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? If you have injuries at receiver, say you're dealing with Michael Thomas, who hasn't played since week one and he gave you nothing week one, then you might as well just because screw it. Maybe he'll give you something. Maybe he doesn't. If not, then someone else will pop up on the waiver wire with more appeal. You can drop Dez, kind of like with the Ravens signing him. It's a low-risk, high-reward move. Maybe it booms, maybe it doesn't. To me, if you're going to stash anybody, it should probably be Antonio Brown. There are a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. But that being said, he's already got a bit of a relationship with Tom Brady. They had the rapport from last year because Brady didn't want him to leave New England. So he fought for him to get to Tampa Bay. So if anybody should go after it in fantasy, it should be Antonio Brown. But Dez, I wouldn't do all that personally. The cogs that will eat in the Ravens passing attack are consistently Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. Dez coming in, he provides a red zone threat, and that's all well and good. But a consistent producer, I wouldn't go that far, especially in that passing game because they're about running the rock, setting up the play action, hit Hollywood deep, maybe hit Mark Andrews over the middle if they're covering deep. That's been the goal. That will continue to be the goal. 
That's why the key for that team is shoring up the interior of the offensive line, specifically a right guard. Now, see, I'm glad it's almost as if you've read my mind, Jake, because you dropped the name of a certain mercurial wide receiver because we're going to segue to that topic. We mentioned last episode we would discuss this more in depth of Michael Thomas, the uh, the wide receiver, all pro, all world wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints uh, has uh, pretty much fallen off the face of the earth this season for various reasons. And there are things that are coming to light now that are showing cracks in that relationship um, within the Saints organization. Um, Jake, I want to start with you. I had to do a little research on Michael Thomas in terms of his impact on the team, his value to the team. Why don't you drop some numbers for me and drop some knowledge and kind of give us a sense of the importance of Michael Thomas to the New Orleans Saints, especially in comparison to uh, other all-time greats? Well, I mean, given everything that's gone in with that passing attack, especially with him being out, you've seen on film their passing attack is sputtered. Kamara's become the player to own in fantasy football because he's getting 13 catches, maybe 80 or 90 yards, plus 80 yards rushing, maybe throwing a touchdown there. He's been exploding 30 to 40 fantasy points in various different games. But as far as Michael Thomas is concerned, he's one of those dudes where if you throw it up to him, he's going to, he's going to catch the ball. His worst catch rate percentage in a season is 69.8%. That means that's, the ratio of how many catches you catch versus how many targets you're throwing to in the passing game. His worst season was in 2017 where he caught over a hundred balls and his worst season are a couple of players. Best seasons are even better than a couple of players. Best seasons like a Terrell Owens, like a Jerry Rice. Actually Jerry Rice's best season is equal to <laughs> his worst season. Like, and to throw something in really quick on your stat you just said, is that also accounts for the targets, counts for bad throws. So he oh, gets, no, you know, that percentage. No question. Now, mind yeah. you, he doesn't see a lot of bad throws because Drew Brees is one of the most accurate quarterbacks we've seen in NFL history. So he actually got fewer targets in his record-breaking season last year than Marvin Harrison did when he originally set the record for most catches in a season. With his 149, he only saw 185 targets. You have players like Antonio Brown receiving 200 and coming down with about 120 of them. Still very good, still elite, but it's not nearly as efficient. Michael Thomas is one of those dudes in the co- with the in the cog of the Saints offense. If he's if the ball's going to him, he's coming down with it unless he can't catch it. Actually, not even unless he can't catch it, but if it's thrown away or if it can't even come close to it. But if it's in his radar and he can catch it, he's catching it. His best percentage was in 2018, where he finished with 85%. And Antonio Brown's best season was 84. But mind you, he had 19 targets and 16 catches in that season. That was his rookie year when he was playing behind Mike Wallace, Heinz Ward, even Emmanuel Sanders. Antonio Brown that season was fourth in the depth chart, his rookie year. Since then, his best season through a 16-game stand was about 71%. Better than Michael Thomas's worst season, not even close to his other three seasons. <laughs> oh my god, it's insane! Now, mind you, you do got to keep in mind when you compare him to the other Hall of Fame receivers, like a Marvin Harrison, even in for the later degrees, but even before then, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, us, Michael Irvin, Chris Carter. The Stafford targets was introduced in 1992, so you can't really compare him to the elite 80s receivers or the 70s receivers because it's a pretty new stat, but none of them even came close to sniffing that. But mind you, they also had to deal with more physical corners. 
Jerry Rice had games against Prime twice a year when the Falcons were still in the NFC West. So, I mean, there's levels to this, and DB's got to do more back then than they do now. So it's not fair to say he's better than any of them, but if you're comparing him to to his contemporaries, like a Julio Jones, like an Antonio Brown, like DeAndre Hopkins even, his cash rate is better than all of them, and it's not even close. So I guess with all that said, and Jake, thank you for doing that research. I mean, that, that, that is amazing. I had no idea that in, in painting this picture of Michael Thomas as a player, um, just how much of an impact he's had just even compared to the greats of the game, but especially in modern times. But Grant, I'm going to throw it to you. So we have a picture of Thomas as a player on the field, but what has happened to him off the field that has just caused him to suddenly be thrown in with the likes of, uh, I hate to say it, T.O. or players like that who are just considered divas? I mean, what 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 happened? Uh, I mean, I don't honestly, <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, because he's always gotten heat on social media for kind of being whiny. You know, if anybody gives him criticism, the dude does not take criticism well whatsoever. Um, to me, I'm not. I would never you know, question a man's intentions or a man's abilities or intent, whatever, you know, but it's kind of awkward that as soon as he got this massive contract, all of a sudden he's a problem. They wouldn't have paid him if he was a problem. Why did he wait to be a problem after he got paid is my thing. Like you don't just openly talk about trading a guy and they're saying that the rumors are not true and this and that, that rumors originate from something. And the fact that, you know, to willing to, you know, have that even have a be a conversation when you just signed the guy to a hundred million dollar contract, that speaks volumes on the guy as a person. Not saying he's a bad person, but maybe he's just not a good teammate. Maybe he's just, you know, a, a problem in the locker room with just, you know, the whiny stuff, man. It's like, man, you are grown. Can't guard Mike. It's like, dude, you gotta be on the field. And, and this is an important time for the Saints. I mean, they have the opportunity. Their window's closing on Drew Brees. Like, are they? is it the Taysom Hill time? He's absolute garbage. And if I ever hear him in the conversation with Lamar again as being like a Lamar-type quarterback, completely discredit information for whatever that person tells me after that. I don't care if they tell me that Cheez-Its are really good. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, that's exactly. a Chips Cheez-It. That's a Chips Cheez-It. <laughs> you know, I love Cheez-It. Um, no, I do too, man. I love them. And, but, you know, it's like, it's like man, it's like uh, you look at the guy and you just raises questions, you know, as a fan, even as an outside fan. And, you know, as a real – you get all the people that get on Twitter and they sit there and they are – these superheroes behind keyboards and you know talk a bunch of shit and all that stuff but it's like at the end of the day it's like you know I would never question another man's you know like I said intentions you know I don't know what he's thinking I don't know who he is as a person um, but it's kind of weird you know how everything is and and you're supposed to be this leader and you're supposed to the, the team is paying you a hundred million dollars you damn well better sure be a leader and you're taking it upon yourself to punch a teammate I don't give a fuck what beef you got with that teammate to put your hands on a teammate is speaking volumes. Yeah, they might have had a pass or whatever that came out in the talks, but, you know, you're a leader. Dude, you are a leader. You are the highest paid man on the team. You, like, the team just invested so much in you, and now you didn't play a game, and I'm pretty sure they lost. I have to look back, but I'm pretty sure they lost, and they haven't looked good when your best receiver is off. And then you have Kamara taking all the heat for everything, 
and he can't even be the best weapon he is, and he's balling out, man. That dude, you know, he they had all the mix-ups with him, getting paid and all that, but he never once stayed away. You know, he just said, he's like, I want to play football. Like, the hamstring thing all of a sudden comes up after the punch. You know, my opinion is, is he's probably pissed off and upset and throwing a temper tantrum because he got benched for punching a guy. He's probably like, well, why didn't he get suspended? Like, it, you know, it, it's a it's a product of accountability, and I don't think he has any accountability at all. Yeah, it's, so a couple of quick thoughts there. First, it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned the hamstring thing being questionable because it kind of almost reminds me of Antonio Brown. Uh, Antonio Brown, I was about to say Bryant, wrong receiver. At the end of his time in Pittsburgh, where it was just one thing after another after another, and just was asked not to join the team, or he left. I don't even remember what happened there, but. You know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's all looking like this is going to come to a very messy divorce. Um, but secondly, um, Mark Ingram will never admit to this. And I know his primary motivation for signing with Baltimore or even testing free agency was so that he would be the number one back somewhere else. And it was not a knock on Kamara at all because um, they're, they're still buddies. But it makes me wonder if one of the reasons Mark Ingram was willing to leave New Orleans and not come back for a hometown discount, so to speak, was maybe there's something there in the organization that we we aren't seeing the cracks because I always wondered about Sean Payton as a head coach. Um, I mean, he he is clearly a winner, but I wonder if some of that might have to do with Drew Brees and all the other talent that they've amassed over the years. And I wonder if you know Brees's leadership has been what's blinded everyone to deeper faults within the organization that maybe we sh- we're going to look back on in a decade. And point to Bounty Gate has having been the red flag that should have shown us maybe the Saints aren't that great of a, a, an organization from a cultural standpoint. I don't know. But that's another topic for another time. We'll probably revisit it sometime this season if this situation blows up. So thank you guys for your thoughts on that. Um, segwaying to the NFC South, uh, the Saints-NFC South rivals, the Atlanta Falcons blew another lead, uh, losing 23-22 to to the Lions in the final minute of the game. They are now 1-6 for the second straight season. So firing Dan Quinn wasn't the end-all, be-all solution to uh, their uh, losing ways. Um, so Raheem Morris probably won't be welcomed back in that coaching position uh, next season. Uh, meanwhile, keeping things with the NFC South, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady ruined John Gruden's revenge game as the Ve- Las Vegas Raiders um, dropped that contest 45-20 to and let Gruden down. Uh, that wasn't expected. Uh, meanwhile, uh, keeping with the NFC on Monday Night Football, the LA Rams dominated the Chicago Bears 24 to 10. A topic that we may explore in previewing the, the upcoming week's action next show is do the Chicago Bears actually suck? <laughs> I think I know your guys' answers to that, but we're going to save that for uh, Friday's episode. And then finally, before we get to the topic of the night, uh, in a battle of unbeatens, the final two unbeaten teams in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans and Pittsburgh Steelers, clashed this past Sunday. And um, after being down significantly for most of the game, the Titans almost came back in the final quarter, but unfortunately fell just shy, uh, losing 27-24 to to the Pittsburgh Steelers, leaving Pittsburgh as the final undefeated team in the NFL, which makes me absolutely sick. So let's segue... To the thing, the, the the main event that we all have been waiting for, Steelers Week. Grant, I hope your throat muscles are exercised. I hope you've got a glass of water. I hope you, you're going to bring that energy because I am going to let you and Jake loose. Grant, I'm going to start with you. 
What are your thoughts on this big AFC North matchup, this battle for the top spot coming up this coming Sunday? Uh, God, they suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but listen, man, fuck the Steelers first up and foremost. Um, I'm so sick and tired of their fans being on the social media, Twitter and everything, talking about how, oh, man, we're 6-0. We're going to be the Super Bowl champions. Big Ben's back. No fucking pig pen is not back, that fat son of a bitch. <laughs> but listen, they like they, they haven't played anybody. Yeah, they say like the records, they have almost lost every game. Just as they are 6-0, they could easily be 2-4 and if teams were competent. Like, oh, man, Trevor Simeon – oh, sorry, not Trevor Simeon. Uh, Jeff Driscoll, sorry, both Broncos, terrible backup quarterbacks came in. But Jeff Driscoll comes in and almost beats you at – dude, what, what? And then you are – you blow a complete lead yesterday – or on Sunday, and you are a Gronkowski field goal away from going into overtime. Like, you catch every break possible – no other team gets those breaks, you know, field goal to win the game, field goal to tie the game, the kicker just misses it. No, that doesn't happen. Um, but I think that Baltimore, um, with all that being said, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I think that it's going to come down to the trenches completely. Uh, Pittsburgh's front line does worry me um, with our interior offensive line kind of being trash right now. Uh, the middle has been getting blown up a lot and the Steelers are strong on the inside. Uh, Devin Bush being out, I think is a, is, is, you know, I'd love to play the best. You know, I don't, I don't ever like injured players. You know, I've been to so many games in Baltimore. I had to watch Charlie Batch be the quarterback in prime time. And it's like, you know, I want to see the best, you know, the best on the best, you know, it's a rivalry. The numbers are comparable. Um, You know, but I think that Lamar is going to have to ball out. I think he's going to completely have to ball out. I don't know what Mark Ingram's ankle is like. Um, I want to see more JK feed that man, um, you know, use use a good possibility of change of pace with that. Duvernay better see 80% of the snaps on offense and passing situations, period. Um, I'm getting sick and tired of them trying to force other people in, you know, Sneed is a great veteran. You know, he's a great guy, but Duvernay is just such a weapon. Get the ball in his hands. Anyways, he is a straight up running back that plays wide receiver and it's not even fair. And he's got burners. Um, uh, Steelers offense doesn't scare me against our defense. I think we're going to completely neutralize them. Look for like one of those rat kind of scratchy games. It's going to be a random dude that balls out. Probably Deontay Johnson's going to have another big game. Just something because we're going to concentrate on Juju, shut down the running game with James Conner. Um, you know, Claypool, who knows what's going to happen, but we're probably going to put uh, Marlon on Claypool because Marlon's a bigger, stronger, longer corner. Um, he gets physical with people. Like, I don't really see Claypool doing much if we neutralize him with Marlon. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's a lot uh, within this game. This is going to be a – I think this is a bigger game right now than what the Thanksgiving game is going to be, even though it's later in the season. Because I think this is the game that's going to give the team confidence or not confidence. You know, Baltimore's 5-1, and one, Steelers are 6-0. and oh. If Baltimore could beat Pittsburgh and knock them off that platform of that 6-0 and oh category as the last unbeaten, which last year – Patriots came into town to figure out what the fuck was up. Um, but knocking them completely off, giving them that first loss, I think that can be detriment to the next time and even down the season as far as playoff, whatever, you know, anything like that. It sticks in your head, you know. And, and right now the world thinks they're invincible and have no clue why. Um, they just came out today as number one in power rankings over even the Chiefs. <laughs> and look, dude, come on, man. Like there, there's – there's, it's called being a product of the moment – but, like, what? 
<laughs> you put the Steelers over the fucking Chiefs. Like sometimes notoriety and credibility just needs to go out the door because people just do shit just to get clicks. And I clicked, so I'm guilty, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think it's I think it's gonna come down to those trenches, man. And, and Lamar's gonna have to play his game. Please to God, do not put Miles Boykin in on third down and anything. Um, but I don't know, Jake, man, what do you think? Because I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of a loss for words right now. I'm just – you're talking about the rattiest team in the league. And, <laughs> you know, and they just – there's been so many fucking games, man, where the series is so even, but it shouldn't be. I mean, how many games did the Steelers beat the Ravens on where it was the Santonio Holmes on the goal line, did oh it cross, God. did it not review to win the game? Like uh, Troy Palomalo's pick six in the AFC Championship game against a rookie Joe Flacco that was just trouncing them. Like it's, like, it's like, man, they get those little freaking breaks, man. And I'm so sick of it. I hope we go in and just beat the fucking breaks off of them. <laughs> well, that'd be lovely. Here's the reality of the situation. Since John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin have both been in Pittsburgh and Baltimore, the series in the regular season is tied 12-12. to Because we swept them last year, we have an exact even record. They are essentially the Yanks who are yin, playing the exact same way. They're fucking assholes, miserable cunts, um, mm-hmm. scums of the, scum of the earth pieces of shit. Uh, I've gone in on many of former co-workers at my old jobs they've taken my abuse rather well except for one i do is kind of a little bitch but that's not <laughs> here nor there but um this is going to be a dog fight this is a grown man's game as far as i'm concerned the score will be 23 to 20 i'll tell you who's going to win on friday i'll tell you the plain and simple you can probably figure it out but either way i mean i have a history of picking the steelers on here and i ain't trying to have hot take house be canceled forever <laughs> so all things considered but the interior of the offensive line definitely worries me. Not to mention with how OBJ hasn't played to the level he did the past couple of years. With TJ Watt coming off the edge on that side. Not to mention Bud Dupree having his quickness against Ronnie Stanley, who's been compromised for most of this year. They've had the bye week to get everything right as far as that front goes because that's the biggest key to winning that game is opening up enough running lanes to – make that defense play off, play you honest, or at least attempt to stop the run and come up for play action passing. Devin Bush being out hurts because he's by far their best coverage linebacker over whoever the hell that white boy was that came in and hit the hell out of Derrick Henry and stonewalled him at the goal line. <laughs> and then Vince Williams, he's by far their best option at that moment. Maybe they bring down Terrell Edmonds or do what they did before and essentially triple team Mark Andrews. But, We'll wait and see. Both these games are always critical. Thanksgiving is going to be just as critical because when it comes to deciding the division, they always consider the most recent game as far as tiebreakers between the two teams. That's why we lost the division back in 2010 when they decided to get away with that old bullshit of Palomalu blitzing off the edge and sacking Joe. But let's not get into that. That was a bad rainy day at work. Nonetheless, it's a it's gonna be a dog fight. That's that's that is what it is. Big Ben is overrated. He isn't what he was once. Career- and you know what else too is that you gotta think of the games where we have smacked them. Like absolutely smacked them. The Steelers haven't blown the Ravens out like the Ravens have blown the Steelers out. When the Steelers win, the games are usually within a touchdown. When the Ravens win, it's two touchdowns. 
and I'm hoping it's one of those games, but I'm with you. I, 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 I don't know. Um, it, I hope, man, gosh, I hate those fuckers. <laughs> oh, just to dig further in, more than likely, I expect Claypool to be shadowed by Jimmy Smith, if anybody. Marlon will have his hands full of either Juju or Deontay Johnson because Johnson's their best route runner. He's essentially their A-B replacement, and he's the number one receiver in that offense. The talk about Claypool is all well and cute, but as soon as he gets game plan for it, he gets erased, and then Deontay Johnson goes off. He's consistent. He gets open. To me, you put either Marlon or Marcus Peters on him the entire game, and then you deal with Juju and you deal with Chase Claypool. But even so, we have three elite corners, even with one play more of a hybrid role this year we shouldn't be really smacked around by any of those three because none of those three are Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown. They're very good players, but that being said, they are not at that level, plain and simple. The key is getting pressure on Ben. Bringing over Yanni Gingakwe will help a lot with that, with he and Calais Campbell running stunts along that offensive line. They're going to have a tough time protecting him, no matter, like, all things considered. The safeties are playing much better than they did early in the year. There haven't been as many coverage breakdowns. I mean, although there have been some, like that 50-yard the fifty yard bomb to Hightower against the Eagles. And oh, that was crazy. The missile yeah. hey, was on third yeah. down. A quick take. Judon and Yannick combined for four and a half sacks on Sunday. That is not a hot take. Though you did say quick take, but no, that's not a hot take at all. I mean, four and a half sacks, that's very feasible. We, I mean, you could you could split one gets two, the other gets two and a half. That no, you gotta come harder than that. Come on now. No, that's why it's quick and not hot. You know, it's 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 a it's a microwave, not an oven. Well, I guess not to what... mention that right tackle isn't very good over there anyway. They lost Marcus Gilbert. They lost I I think they had that big dude, Zach Banner, over there who was a practice squad player for a while. He gets hurt, and now they have some other dude who I don't even know who he is. The the boon for them is getting back David DeCastro because that's a key along their offensive line. He's essentially their Yonda, what he was for us. So him helping protect at the interior. He and Fine, Pazzi- Max. Fine, oh. Max. Calais Campbell gets his first interception. How about that one? <laughs> I will take that. I will take that to the bank, no pun intended. No, it's um, – Jake, You you. I want to clue in something on something that you said, and this is going to be a difficult stat to track down. I don't think that this is easily researched, but we had mentioned before – the the rate of success that rookie quarterbacks have had against the Ravens defense historically, especially in the Harbaugh era, basically they just get embarrassed point blank period. And I think it would probably be the same result with rookie receivers. I don't think there have been many rookie receivers to have gone over a hundred yards against the Ravens defense the first time that they played. But I mean, again, that I shoot, I might be too lazy to research that stat to be honest. Um, Not to mention yeah. Chase Claypool and Calvin Johnson. I know they have that cute nickname for him, which is Mapletron, or I forget. There's another it's one. Easiest I, nickname I, ever. <laughs> I'll put Gus Bus right up there because I hate that nickname. I hate that fucking nickname. Hell no, that's from uh, Bench Warmers. You don't remember Gus Bus? <laughs> the only thing I remember from Bench Warmers was the fucking pasty white kid who would never come outside. And I thought to myself, if I ever have a kid with another pasty white chick, that will be my son. That, that's the reality. Nick, yeah, Nick Swartz's character was funny as hell in that spot too. Though. That, that scream gets son. me every time. I'm just telling you, hypothetically speaking. But even then, I'm not worried about all that. But nonetheless, I've been on the G train in tip for years since he came into the league. So I'm not on Gus Bus. I'm 
I've been vocal on the Twitters about that with my very <laughs> limited to non-existing profile on there. But Gus Bus sucks. Go with G Train. That's nice. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I um I I agree with both of you in that I am both alternately concerned and not concerned about this game. I am really not concerned about James Conner and Benny Snell and that Steelers backfield in general. I'm more concerned with Roethlisberger doing Roethlisberger things just because he can have a dog shit game. And then all of a sudden at the very end, just pull off some theatrics, which is why. So I I put it to, to you guys in our group chat, but I'm going to let the listeners in on this. I want this game to be the ugliest, but I mean, talking bowling shoe, ugly lipstick on a pig match where the, the Steelers, they could have a chance to come back at the end because the Ravens are only up three and oh, or three, nothing with 30 seconds left. And they still fucking lose because they can't even drive past midfield or they're right there in field goal position. And they miss because imagine how embarrassing it is to lose to a team. That's a division rival while you're undefeated and you couldn't even do enough on offense to get into the end zone or to even kick a field goal to tie and take it to overtime. Like that, that's gotta be demoralizing right there that it's a game within your grasp because any team can get blown out and anyone can get blown out, but to lose in such a devastatingly ugly fashion and you're going to try to claim the moral victory. But the fact of the matter is the scoreboard doesn't care at the end of the day, one team scores more than the other. And that's all that matters. So I want this to be an old school Raven Steelers defensive brawl. We're talking, you know, turnover on downs, three and outs, the works. I want everyone to be, you know, worried about how the Ravens offense is going to do moving forward. I want everyone to be questioning how good the Steelers offense really is because the bottom line is I want this to be about defense because I think, I think Wink Martindale, as much shit as he gotten over the past year for, for blowing leads, um, particularly we're talking the Eagles game most recently. I think the Steelers aren't getting enough criticism for the same thing um, with this past Sunday where they had a manageable and comfortable lead against most other teams, but they let the Titans of all teams and Ryan Tannehill come back to almost win. And they got lucky that that game didn't go into overtime because I don't know how much juice that defense would have had left. So if you're going to give the Ravens shit for letting Carson Wentz and the lowly Philadelphia Eagles almost come back to win. You got to do the same thing to Pittsburgh. So I want two weeks in a row for that defense to disappoint them, or rather I want their offenses to disappoint them this time around. And I want the Steelers to be exposed for the mediocre team that I believe that they are because one, fuck the Steelers. And two, I will never forgive Joey Porter for shoving Todd heat when he was hurt in 2004. I remember that always. That's when I became a Ravens fan. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, guys, I think that Steelers week cannot be contained to just one episode. So we're going to talk when we get off air about our plans for this coming Friday's episode, but I'm thinking we're going to make that a Ravens Steelers nostalgia fest where we are shitting on Pittsburgh for most of the episode with our favorite Ravens victories. Maybe we'll talk about some low lights as well, but guys, I regardless am hyped for this Sunday's game like no other. Grant, Jake, Grant, I'll start with you. I mean, it, it, what's how's the excitement level feeling for you? Look, man, I troll all the time. I ruffle feathers. I joke about it. But at the end of the day, I get a lot of heat for it. Like, I hate the Steelers, but it's a hate respect. Like, I respect the hell of their organization. I respect the hell of their game, but they fuck, I, fuck them. You know, at the end of the day, it's fuck them. But, you know, I troll. You know, I do whatever. But 
I love this game, and I love when this game happens. I wish it was six times a year because I love watching defensive battles. I'm old school football. I don't like the score fifty to scores fifty to forty eight. Like that's boring to me. Yeah, it's exciting for some people to see touchdowns. I want to see sacks, picks, forced fumbles. I want to see big hits. I want to see you know star players getting shut down, like to be neutralized, like that type of stuff, man. Like. Like I'm gonna see a great game, and that's always what happens when this ha- when this game comes to point. And I'm really excited for this game. Uh, it honestly could go either way. Both are really good teams right now. Um, of course, I think the Ravens are gonna come out on top. But you know, I'm just looking forward to this defensive battle. Once again, I'll reiterate: I wish Devin Bush was playing, and I wish him a speedy recovery. Um, he's a hell of a player. Loved him at Michigan. Love his energy, his fire, his ability to play all aspects of the game and be a complete four down linebacker. But, you know, I think that he's, um, I think this whole game is going to be great. Um, Patrick McQueen's going to shine this game. Watch out for Patrick McQueen to completely shine. All right. Now, Jake, take us home. Your, your thoughts about your excitement level for this Sunday's game. Every time Raven Steelers comes around, I always get nervous and I always just become a really loathsome kind of individual. And that starts out by listening to a certain song I sent y'all in the DMs. That's, <laughs> that's my Raven Steelers week go-to. That, that is what it is. Nonetheless, they're a hell of a team. They, historically, they are a hell of a team. I got to give them their respect. They're dirtbag pieces of shit, but I mean, that is what it is. <laughs> it was funny. When I got it, like, when I really got immersed into the rivalry, hated them in 2010, of course, 2011, 2012 was what it was. We wanted the Super Bowl. And, we beat them while they had Dennis, was it Byron Leftwich at quarterback? Byron Leftwich, the current Bucks offensive coordinator. Yeah, I remember that. And then, of course, Charlie Batch in 2012 with the start of that losing streak and then eventually going on to win the Super Bowl. So it's a bad memory that turns into a good memory. Um, it was funny, though. The real hatred got reinvigorated after the Tomlin shuffle. I'm not going to lie. Sticking <laughs> yeah. your leg out and then just – up and back just to try to mess with Jacoby Jones. the Tomlin shuffle. <laughs> try, trying to be cute about Tomlin it. Shuffle. I remember that. Yeah. Here's the thing. I would have given him the benefit of the doubt if he wasn't, if he didn't have that devilish smile on the sidelines. If he was like, man, I'm stupid. I'm like, okay, whatever. But that kind of grand, no, I ain't giving you that, bro. Hell no. <laughs> and as soon as I came about, it was on site. It was a green light. That is what it is. This, they're, they're dirtbag pieces of shit. That's, that's, that's the biggest emphasis I can give you. Even with my friends who are Steelers fans, your team is a dirt, is a collection of dirtbag pieces of shit. I hope for the worst for them. Even if we have a bad season, as long as we win those two games against them, I had a good year. Even if the Ravens are shit, plain and simple. I want them to be dog shit. But even so, so but even so, they're not. They're a very <laughs> well-run organization. <laughs> At least the li- listeners know how we feel about him right now. <laughs> exactly. I, I am not going to pretend to be objective about this shit at all. No, we could go 2-14 and 14 every year. I don't give a shit as long as those two wins are against the Steelers. Do never, yeah. ever lose to the Steelers. No. That's unacceptable. It's plain and simple. And they should feel the exact same way about us. That's, that's what it is. Well, 100%. I hope their podcasts are talking as much shit about the Ravens sucking and, you know, being pieces of shit and stuff like that because that's just what this rivalry is. It's the best rivalry in sports. It, man. Nah, no, Steelers, dude. They be talking about Roethlisberger, dude. He's got to throw for five touchdowns on Sunday and Emmett T. Bank Stadium, dude. That's what those fuckers are sounding like right now, most likely. 
I'd imagine those fucking yinzers. Nonetheless, I got to give them the balance because it's a very well-run organization. And historically, they have been since really the AFL-NFL merger. It was a couple of years after where they hired Chuck, uh, Chuck Knoll. They drafted Mean Joe Green and they brought everything from the ground up. And that's why you have the whole immaculate reception bullshit at their fucking airport. Or well, I mean, the Rooney's, the Rooney's are, the Rooney's are a class act. They're a great, you know, great family, great, uh, fo- you know, great for the NFL. And they've been wonderful for the NFL too. Yeah. But still fuck those guys. That's, that's what it is. Should have owned a different team, man. That's just what it is. But, um, nonetheless, like it'll be a dog fight and I fully expect it will be, I'll be extremely excited if we win. I'll be inconsolable if we lose. Be a melodramatic bastard. But either way, it's going to be a dog fight. That's that's uh, how it is. Even if they're, be- I'm even suspending- if they're bad, tight. <laughs> I'm suspending all accounts if, if we lose. Like, I, I'm, I'm shut off from the world for a week. No podcast, no nothing. Fuck them. No, just- <laughs> After a couple hours, I'll get over it. I am not going to pretend to be objective or unbiased when talking about the Steelers during Steelers week. So if you're looking for objectivity coming to this podcast, you found the wrong podcast when it's Steelers week. So that said, I would normally not encourage people to not listen, but if you are a Steelers fan whose feelings are hurt by this, skip episode five as well, because it's going to be more of the same and then some. So that's going to be this coming Friday. So guys, again, we're going to talk off air about how we're going to approach that one. But trust me, it's going to be Raven Steelers centric. Hell, I mean, hell, we may barely even touch on the rest of the games upcoming in week eight, but our time is running short. So that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. This is episode four of our beloved Zone 32 podcast. NZI's first all 32 podcast only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. He's Grant. He's Jake. I'm Max. Tune in this Friday for a special Raven Steelers edition. And again, one, fuck the Steelers. And two, thanks for listening. Have a great night. See ya! Max, Grant, Jake. Zone 32 only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.